Today is Friday, August 18th, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Signs of hope in Maui. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Subscribe and leave a rating. Email us. We'd love to hear from you. Quick Start Podcast at CBN.org. Joining me to get through the news of the cray on this Friday, Trey Gons Phillips. Billy's off today. Trey, what's up? What's up? What's up? We're at the weekend. Eve of the weekend here yeah, on well, Friday. Leisurely, yeah, leisurely strolling through the news here of the day. As always, a lot to choose from. And we're going to get started and dive right in. We've got a legal battle, Trey, a Catholic church going up against the state of Colorado. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a a church in Denver is going after the state over what they see as a First Amendment violation. So we'll go through the details of that story. Yep. I mean, another instance of a church or a Christian having to go to court here and defend their rights to exercise their faith. So we'll look into the details on that in just a minute. Also on the main thing, the crisis of Armenian Christians continues and they're surrounded there by Muslim countries, largely Muslim countries, who are essentially trying to squeeze them out with this blockade of Nagorno-Karabakh. Sam Brownback joined CBN's Julie Stahl to discuss the latest on that. And we will have that on the main thing. But first, we're going to get through the news here in 90 seconds. As many as eight churches were attacked earlier this week on Wednesday in Pakistan, an angry mob set them on fire and vandalized a lot of the adjoining buildings. The violence said to be caused by allegations of blasphemy against two local Christian residents. And the violent crowd created panic and fear throughout the area, forcing hundreds of Christian families to flee their homes. Hillsong Church founder Brian Houston was ruled not guilty by an Australian court Yesterday, after police brought one charge of concealing his father's child sex crimes, Houston had pled not guilty to the charge. The Sydney magistrate ruled Houston had a reasonable excuse for not reporting his father's alleged offenses. He said that Houston believed the victim did not want the abuse in the 1970s reported to the police. And also the fact that Houston spoke widely and freely about his father's abuse indicated Houston wanted people to know, and he said it's, quote, the very opposite of a cover-up. And signs of hope in Maui from the church that miraculously survived the fire to hundreds of showing up at church services. Those are just some of the signs of God's footprints in the midst of disaster. CBN's Wendy Griffith has the story on that. You can read it over at CBNnews.com. And Trey, we've got a prayer event coming today to get everyone here in the CBN audience praying for the people of Hawaii, people of Maui, after these devastating fires. Yeah, I think it's so important to focus ourselves as believers on uh, on the stuff that matters, right? Which is the people's lives, how they've been impacted, and of course, their, their eternal um, the eternal significance of these lives, right? Whether they're lost or people who are suffering the and grieving the loss of a loved one. Uh, it's definitely important as believers that we come around and pray. And then of course, with Operation Blessing and other humanitarian organizations that as believers, we not only pray, but we also take action where we can. And we go and we meet people um, to address their physical needs in hopes that we have an opportunity to uh, care for their spiritual needs as well. So 
yeah, it's an important event. And I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're doing this because it helps me even center myself in remembering what matters most in situations like this. Yeah. And it also gives us specific things we can be right. praying about as we're talking to people on the ground there in Hawaii, just a horrific situation in general. I mean, it's, there's really no, I mean, obviously you're on an Island. There's where do you go when the whole thing's engulfed in, in flames or large parts of it engulfed in flames, there's nowhere to go. And even now, after the fact, with homes destroyed, it's not like here where you can just, well, we're going to go down to our a couple states over and we'll just go to our friends over there, our relatives over there and stay there for a while. You might have some more options here in the continental U.S., but when you're it's very limited when you're on an island presenting a whole a whole new set of challenges. Yeah, that's definitely the case. And then also just it's easy in any situation to kind of play Monday morning quarterback yeah. and say, well, the government did this or they didn't do that. Or they should have done this better. Um, but that is a reality that there are things that you can look back in retrospect. I was reading earlier this morning, there are a lot of people who are so frustrated that the government has an alarm system in the mountains in Maui and they didn't sound that alarm system when they maybe should have. And uh, so people are not only grieving loss, but they're feeling like their government and local officials didn't do everything they could have done to warn them of what was coming. So there's there's frustration on top of grief, on top of more frustration and more grief. So, yeah, there's just so many things that they're grappling with. And you're right. It's not only can you not escape it geographically, they can't get away from it physically, but also because of that, they can't really get away from it emotionally. There's no distance because wherever they are, everywhere they look, they see decimation. So the the work of healing, I think, is going to take a long time. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And so we uh, encourage you to join our prayer event. And if you can't, just be praying for them in your own time, uh, wherever you may be. All right, we're going to head over to the focus story now. A Catholic church in Denver is suing the state of Colorado. So what happened here? What's going on? So the Archdiocese of Denver and two of its parishes, which have preschools uh, and and grade schools, uh, they've filed a lawsuit against the state of Colorado. They're claiming that the state's universal preschool program uh, violates the First Amendment. Uh, So in order to participate in this program and receive, obviously, the government funding, the state government funding that comes with it, uh, participants are required to follow Colorado's anti-discrimination policy. Uh, which means that schools within those parishes, those Catholic parishes, would be mandated to accept all applicants, uh, regardless of their family's religious beliefs, if they even have religious beliefs, uh, the kids' gender identities, uh, their sexual orientations, or even their parents' views uh, on sexual orientation, which of course may compete with Catholic teaching. Uh, so that's that's kind of where the, the friction is. Uh, leaders with St. Mary's Catholic Parish and St. Bernadette Catholic Parish, both in uh, different suburbs inside of Denver, alongside with the archdiocese itself, uh, they've all asserted in a court filing this week that the state regulation uh, violates the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. Uh, They said the Colorado Department of Early Childhood is purporting to require all preschool providers to accept any applicant without regard to a student or family's religion, sexual orientation, or gender identity, and to prohibit schools from discriminating against any person on the same basis. And of course, as a Catholic school, 
uh, they hold to religious beliefs or, or Christian beliefs uh, on sexuality. And that means one man, one woman uh, for life practicing or engaging in sexual activity only within those parameters, uh, which, of course, the anti-discrimination policies of the state uh, butt up against that and, and certainly contradict biblical teaching on sexuality. Yeah, indeed. And how have the parish schools been impacted by this? Yeah, so that means that these faith-based schools Catholic and Protestant, many of them have opted out of participating in this. So they're saying, one, they're not privy to government aid that really anybody else would be privy to simply because of their religious beliefs. Uh, So that's one way that they've been impacted. Another way that they've been impacted is a lot of times this money is passed on to the parents, right? So uh, a lot of the schools that are participating, in effect, are, are giving parents free preschool education for 15 hours plus a week. Uh, and even one of the, the attorneys handling the case, representing the parishes, said, how, how can we compete with 15 hours plus of free preschool education? Uh, and not only are we having to continue to charge parents who want to enroll their kids, but we're having to increase the cost of our tuition to make up for the fact that all of these other schools now have free money uh, that they're then spending or or that's allowing them to spend their money on other things to better the school. And now we're still kind of stuck with the same situation. Uh, So it's, it's kind of twofold how it's impacting them, but uh, it certainly is making, making an impact because one St. Mary's in, in particular, that parish school, they've come out and said, we've seen a precipitous drop in our enrollment just this year. Yeah. I mean, it makes them go. It makes them face an uphill battle that other institutions like them don't have to do, and that's it seems patently unfair. Has the governor said anything about this situation? So, through his uh, press secretary Connor Cahill, uh, Governor Jared Polis, he's a Democrat. Uh, he essentially said, "You know, what's your problem? Other faith-based schools uh, have have enrolled in this program, and they don't have an issue. Uh, faith-based schools of different religions um, have enrolled in this program, uh, and they're fine to comply with our anti-discrimination policy." Uh, so, in effect, he said, "If you're not if you're not going to comply, that's really your problem, not ours." I'm being a little bit. A little bit tongue in cheek, so I'll read you his the actual statement from his his press secretary. He said, uh, "The governor believes in building a Colorado for all and a community where everyone is free from discrimination." And this voter approved program has received a forty three percent increase in enrollment in universal preschool, including gaining the participation of many faith based preschool providers. Uh, the press secretary also added that there are two thousand and sixty one participants school participants in the program. 37% of which he said are faith-based. Now, of course, we don't know exactly, okay, what does faith-based mean? Does that mean they're Christian? They hold to a biblical view of sexuality. Uh, that's not necessarily clear here, but yeah, that that's, that's where everything stands with the governor. Yeah, and it's like, it's interesting because what they're essentially trying to do is it's almost like bribery in a way. Like you, you take this money and this government money, you have to agree to all of these things that we're including with this money or else you don't get it. And it's, it's just a way of force feeding some of these gender laws and bathroom laws and all these other things. And so it is, it's tough because on the one hand, you don't want to, as an institution that's Christian and knows these sorts of things are coming, you don't want to be relying on any government money. But as you said, it makes it difficult to compete in the marketplace, right? Like it's harder for them to create something that will be appealing to parents. 
uh, in the area because it'll just have to be priced higher to make up for the loss of that of that money from the government. So it is really tough, but I mean, I'm glad they're, you know, sticking to their guns there, so to speak, because you can't have that where the government can sort of hold this funding over Christians' heads and say, agree with this or else we're taking all the money away. I think the interesting thing is here in this situation, as has been the case with many, the government is trying to force everybody, including Christians who have legitimate convictions, to apply or, or to to fall in, into their teaching on sexuality. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Christian schools, these Catholic schools are saying, we don't care what everybody else does. They can still receive that funding. All we want is for you to leave us alone. Like, let right. us have our view on this issue uh, and just let us, you know, give us an exemption. Let us still participate in the program. Everybody else can still maintain their views on LGBT issues. Just allow a carve out for us. Actually, the carve already exists. It's the First Amendment. Just <laughs> yeah. apply, apply the carve out for us. You know, let let us in based on what the Constitution already guarantees us. Whereas it seems like, as you said, the bribery from the government, or honestly, it's like, like strong arm bullying yeah. almost, right? Um, so yeah, the the government wants everybody to fall in line, and the Christians are just saying everybody can believe what they want to believe. Just let us participate. Yeah. Now it's it's troubling and a troubling trend and I mean these are these are the sorts of things I think we just have to expect as Christians going forward. Um, you you get the secular government bureaucrats are getting more and more bold when it comes to things like this. They they don't feel there's this the sense of shame and violating the First Amendment and and the Constitution. It, that seems to be going away. I mean maybe it's just me, but they just seem like they're like all right that. That ship has sailed. We are totally safe to press press in on this. We're constantly, as Christians, having to go to court to just maintain the right to be able to express our viewpoints. What's odd to me is that we're the secular world, I think, or so often the left acts like love love the person, hate the sin is some sort of new concept. <laughs> right. The reality is, is we all do that, whether you're a, a Christian or not. Name one person in your friend group, your sphere of influence, your family, who you not only do you love them, but you love everything that they ever do. Who think say speak like nobody? There's nobody. Like, no. I I have plenty of friends, Christian friends and non-Christian friends, who I I love them, care about them, uh, but I don't agree with everything that they say or or what they choose to do with their money or how they choose to spend their time. So it's not like it's a foreign concept to love a person and dislike their behavior. Yeah. Uh, there's plenty of things that I do. <laughs> like I like myself. Okay. But there's also plenty of things that I do like, man, I hate that. I did that. Like <laughs> yeah. I hate that I acted that way or that I yeah. interacted with this person that way. This is not a new concept, but it seems like the left and the secular world tries to act like Christians are the only ones who are doing this really judgmental evil behavior. Right. And that's the it's that is not a new concept. You're you're right. What is new is that culture has decided now to erase grace from right from yes. culture. And so now it's like well, grace in one direction. Right. Right, exactly. Grace if you agree with everything I say. Like, you know, <laughs> exactly. and so that's that's what's different now is as a society we used to have grace on our differences and we debate it and hash it out and fight for what we thought were the best policies, et cetera, et cetera. And we'd still be Americans at the end of the day. It feels like a lot of that is gone and that ship has sailed. And that's sad. I mean, I don't know how you get that sense back, but it certainly seems like we'd be, we'd be a lot better off if we could. So 
appreciate you bringing that story, Trey, on the radar today. We're going to move over to the main thing right now, and that crisis of Armenian Christians continues. They're essentially surrounded by Muslims, Muslim countries, who are trying to squeeze them out, essentially. And with this blockade of Nagorno-Karabakh, there's about 120,000 or so Christians there, and it's getting worse by the day. Sam Brownback joined CBN's Julie Stahl to discuss the latest. That's today's main thing. Ambassador Sam Brownback, thank you for joining us on Jerusalem Dateline. Happy to join you. Now you're here with us today to tell us about the situation of Armenian Christians in Nagorno-Karabakh. Could you start by giving us a little bit of history, who these people are, where they live, and what's happening to them? These are Armenian Christians. Uh, Armenia is the oldest Christian nation on earth. It was the first nation to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior as a nation in the third century. And so these are ancient historic Christians that are surrounded by a Muslim nation in Azerbaijan that's really trying to strangle and force them out. And so it's this kind of age-old story that we've seen played throughout the Middle East where you get these ancient Christian populations and then they get strangled and pushed around and, and until people leave and there's no Christians left. And that's really what's setting up and happening in Nagorno-Karabakh. So how many people are we talking about? How, what, how large is that community? It's about 120,000 uh, that's in this region, Nagorno-Karabakh. Armenia is larger. It's about 3 million people. But this is an Armenian Christian population that's surrounded by Azerbaijan. And it's also a place of a former genocide that took place 100 years ago in 1915. There was the Armenian Genocide. Uh, by the Turkish, the, the Ottoman Empire when it was falling. There was over a million Armenian Christians that were killed in that genocide. Uh, and we just don't want to see that repeated again. Ambassador Brownback, why should Christians care about the, uh, other Christians in Armenia? Because they're our brothers and sisters. Uh, and this is, we, we are in an era now where you've got the most Christian persecution of any time in world history. Uh, and if people, particularly Christians in the United States, but all over the world, but certainly ones in the United States, don't pick up this cause and stand for it, they're going to be crushed. They're going to be forced out of their ancient homelands. They'll end up immigrating to Europe or the United States or Canada in all probability. And we'll end up with more refugees here, which is fine, I guess. Uh, I mean, we're a nation that takes refugees in, but that's not what should be forced to happen. They should be able to live in their homeland. They should be able to practice their faith freely. Uh, and we need to stand up and fight for them. And we've got tools that we can use to make sure that they are allowed to stay and practice their faith freely. Can you explain exactly what is happening to them there? I understand there's a road that's blocked and they can't get supplies. It's a kind of a long story, but what basically has happened is you've got an enclave of 120,000 Armenian Christians that are surrounded by Azerbaijan, which is a Muslim population that's there. There is a corridor called the Lachin Corridor that's 21 miles long that they have gotten their food and supplies in historically, and that's supposed to be guarded by the Russians. The Russians are not anywhere to be found now for obvious reasons. And so the Azeris have cut off that road and supply line to the Christians going into this enclave. 
And that's what's mm -hmm. taking place now is they're really being strangled uh, because they can't get food and supplies and fuel into these 120,000 Christians. What is the U.S. position on this? Why is it important to the U.S. to care about this? Well, we've got a lot of sway in this region between both Armenia and Azerbaijan. We've worked closely with Azerbaijan. Uh, the Israelis have, and they've got sway in this region. And we can push the Azeris to allow the food and the fuel and the supplies to go in through this Lachin corridor. And we supply armament to the Azeris. And we can say to them, if you're going to strangle this group of Christians, we're not going to supply you any more weaponry. Uh, and I think we also ought to target Turkey on this. Turkey is behind Azerbaijan in this. And I think we ought to threaten mm -hmm. sanctions on Turkey on steel and aluminum, in particular sensitive items, if they don't stop the support for the strangulation of this ancient Christian population. Now, Israel is in a little bit of a precarious situation. They kind of have uh, tight security relations with Azerbaijan, and yet they do care about humanitarian needs uh, like this for, for the Christians in Armenia. Uh, wh what could Israel do? They're kind of like caught between a rock and a hard place. Well, I, I think Israel has a real key role to play here, and you can do both. They can have a security relationship with Azerbaijan, but also say, we will not support your effort at this humanitarian disaster of strangling these Christians. And the Israelis really should be pushing on Azerbaijan to open up this Lachin corridor so that the food, the fuel, the medical supplies can get in to these 120,000 Christians. Okay. Anything else you'd like to add? The time is of the essence. This winter's coming in. It's going to get worse. The Armenian Christians have been able to supply themselves with gardens and things that they have in their area, but that's not going to last through the whole winter, and medical issues become more dire as well. We really need to push on this happening now, both in the United States and in Israel. Okay, thank you so much, Ambassador Brownback, for joining us on Jerusalem Dayline. Thank you. All right, Julie, thanks for that update there on that situation. Really appreciate it as we've been reporting on that. And it's certainly something we should add to our prayer list as you have lots of Christians there just in really a troubling, troubling situation. So appreciate that report. And that's going to leave us with time here for one last thing on the pod this week. So we're going to look at Job 26, 7. It says, God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. And I just think, Man, what a profound reminder that yeah. God absolutely does not need any of us to be the sovereign God that he is, but he wants us. And I think yeah. that's an encouragement. Yeah, indeed. And I, I just love a lot of that imagery in Job, too, just really yeah. painting how how much greater God is than us with with just super eloquent and beautiful words like that, just to describe creation and how incredible it is. And, you know, you feel you can't help but feel small by comparison, but also that that's a good thing because we realize we are in the hands of a great and mighty God who loves us and, and is not against us. So great news and a great way to end it on this week. As always, get yourself on over to CBNNews.com and Faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. Don't waste your time on all these other secular outlets. Why bother? Get the Christian perspective. All right, Lord willing, and that creek don't rise. We shall return Monday with more. 
Hope you have a fantastic weekend. God bless. See you Monday.